Dave Fanning on 2FM. Brian is here, and the reason he's here is this, because um, he's TV and film director and IFTA winner a few times. Brian Red. <laughs> he was here a few weeks ago, and he was looking at the best laughing moments on screen. Oh, yes. So then we decided to bring him in this time to look at the most memorable crying. No, we didn't. Not the crying moments. The yelling moments in the movies. We'll do crying next week. Crying <laughs> will be good. Yeah, right, OK. So um, we're talking big screen and lots of shouting. The, to me, the most shouting of all is on stuff that I never watch, which is the soaps. It's yeah. all confrontation. Yeah. And it's all hassle and it's yes. all people shouting at each other yeah. and it's all get out of my life no, yeah. not that I ever watch them anyway go on no I don't watch Tell soaps either movies. but you're right soaps are very melodramatic and that melodrama uh, yeah it really lends itself to I see the way you TV. took that from me there and ran with it that's, that's very good hey, well it's true that's it's true clever. but I don't watch soap operas either so I don't even watch those big screamy shouty moments but actors love them yeah. Actors love them. And it's interesting, actually. As I was, I was thinking about clips and thinking about movies for this after we talked about it, I was saying, you know, that you have these great moments in movies where actors are really big, shouty, screamy moments, big, epic speeches, you know, and they tend to win awards. Like, yeah. You know, the guys who do them, and and, yeah. and they tend to be men uh, also, which is an odd thing. Um, always end up winning Oscars, you know? Those big heightened emotion moments in movies and those big speeches. And, you know, and people will tell you, if you read any books about screenwriting, like William Goldman's Adventures in the Screen Trade or anything, like if you're sitting down to write a script, people will always tell you, avoid speeches, nobody talks in speeches. But actors love speeches. Actors love to be able to do a bit of grandstanding and their big moment. And in fact, people in real life perhaps don't speak that way. Yeah, but in no, movies, they do. People don't really talk in speeches much. They do don't. They? No. So if you want a realistic film, you know, with a realistic dialogue, you know, you're looking at the likes of, well, I, I was going to say Quentin Tarantino, but his dialogue's not realistic. That's very heightened, you know. But you're looking at, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson films or stuff like that, you know. Some of you are trying to get realistic dialogue. You're not going to get big, big moments and big speeches. But actors adore them. And it's very old-fashioned. It's something I think that's going out of style now, you know. And, and, and it's, you see it less and less in movies. But I love them, I have to say. Like the movies of John Ford. You think of, of you know, Grapes of Wrath and, and uh, the Tom Jode speech by Henry Fonda, you know. You know, when he's dying and he says, I'll be in the wind when you hear the sound of, of, of the wind that'll be me when you hear a worker crying for injustice that will be me they're big heightened moments that win awards and we should see more of them I think however we have found some there are some out there still, <laughs> in other words like not so much in conversation like I mean you might find it in something like obviously a Martin Luther King and famous yeah. speech and that and that's yeah. where you can really yeah okay fair enough yeah you don't really tend to see them in movies that much yeah. these days because like I say it's, it's, it, it tends to be something that's old fashioned however actors are drawn to them you know and you found a few yeah well I mean I think so, so I mean some of them sometimes like most recently I think a brilliant speech and a brilliant heightened moment is Mel Gibson and Braveheart I mean this has been parodied a lot and people yeah. would know this scene but yeah. of course so he plays William Wallace in this and of course we, you know, great great association with Ireland. Most of this was shot in Ireland. A lot of Irish actors in it, including Brendan Gleeson. Um, and, you know, so it's the story of William Wallace, this Scottish revolutionary fighting against the English. Um, he's rallying the troops. So he's on horseback. And, 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 and Mel Gibson, who also directed, won an Oscar for directing it, actually. And the yeah. film won Best Picture as well. So he did a good job. Although he, I don't think he was nominated for acting, but he certainly didn't win. So he's, he's parading before the troops in his kilt, yeah. on horseback, with his face painted that blue colour. And he's trying to rally them. And yeah. he's trying to tell them why it's important that Scotland <laughs> fights back. And it's a brilliant moment.
Do you like a bit of cat, do you? Cat I like, well, there you go. So obviously we now know what Mel Gibson was wearing under his kilt because his voice has now gone up at least three octaves. Shut up. <laughs> they will to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! I prefer the first one you play. <laughs> but you know, like that's great because, I, and like that is really important speech in that film. Obviously, you can hear all the guys yeah. screaming in the back. They're all Irish extras, all the FCA there screaming yeah. at them, going, "Yeah!" And you know, and like that is there's a kind of a reprise of that then at the end of the movie when poor old William Wallace is being hung, drawn, and quartered in a horrific scene. Yeah. And the final thing he screams out again is "Freedom!" at the very end of the movie. So that works really well because it works, you know, right towards the end of the film. So big macho men screaming like that, I think, you know, works a lot, works well in films. Another great one, I think, again, much parodied, is Jared Butler and This Is Sparta. In a film that I actually quite enjoyed called 300, a very macho film about Spartan fighting against Persia. And in, 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 in a very famous scene, um, Jared Butler, who isn't a great actor, really, but who's very good in this, plays King Leonidas, I think. And he's talking to a Persian and um, they're having a conversation. And the Persian basically pisses him off and he screams at him. And then after he screams at him, he kicks him into this big, gaping black hole. And you don't see it coming at all. And it's a brilliant, brilliant moment in the film. I think that's a great, great use of screaming and shouting. Oh, I've chosen my words carefully, Persian. Perhaps you should have done the same. This is blasphemy. This is madness. Madness. This is Sparta. Good moment. Good screaming. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's a good moment, and it's yeah. like that's been parodied. I mean, when you think of screaming movies, surely Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is the biggest screaming movie of them all. Just one. It after would the be. Other yeah. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is basically yeah, a couple ripping each other apart and screaming at each other and just yeah. denigrating each other and belittling each other for 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 I two hours Jack on screen. Earlier on, in terms of uh, a few good men. So Jack that. Nicholson's a great screenwriter. The two great screamers on screen, I mean, I, I, male anyway, Jack Nicholson and Al Pacino. I mean, every movie Al Pacino does, he has a, a moment. I and mean, when we talk about it later, like Scent of a Woman with the hoo-ha! Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Frank, like, he just screams all the time. Yeah. I mean, way too much. But Nicholson is brilliant. Nicholson is so good. And of course, again, one that is so well known is A Few Good Men, yeah. men where he's playing Colonel Jessup. Talking to Tom Cruise. Yeah, so Tom Cruise is this lawyer. Uh, a soldier has died on a barracks under mysterious circumstances Tom Cruise is investigating this Colonel Jessup who's a stalwart in, in, in the military a guy who has his breakfast you know a hundred yards from a guy who blow my head off you know he's just a real hard hard man yeah. who will not take anything from this candy ass as he calls him in a white suit and Tom Cruise is the lawyer who finally gets him on the stand now Jessup knows what happened to this to this soldier and Tom Cruise knows that he knows and he's trying to get him to admit it so in this scene in Rob Reiner's brilliant A Few Good Men uh, Tom Cruise is you know he's trying to crack this hard icy exterior and he's badgering him and badgering him until he finally cracks but hold on before I play it do you not think in some ways that a lot of the audience will be going Jack's got a point here Jack's right yeah no he is oh he yeah. is yeah he is yeah. I think yeah. I mean in the scene he's, oh, he's such a great actor you can't, you're almost on his side even though he's a nasty nasty yeah, character yeah, yeah. but he's right your man actually can't handle it I was just going to say because you actually can't handle the truth no. Mr. Cruz 
Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut person. these guys loose! Your Honor! You had Marcus inside a phony transport! Your Honor! You doctored the logbook! Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup! Did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That's <laughs> <laughs> great, isn't it? I gotta get a chill up your spine here. That's fantastic. I also mentioned earlier Revolutionary Road, Kate Winslet. Yeah, great movie. And as I said, interestingly, you know, like these big speeches, these big moments, it's, you know, it does tend to be male actors who get them. It's very rare you see, you know, I mean, there are there are examples of it, but it's harder to find them, you know. And that's an interest. That says a lot about Hollywood, I think. Maybe that'll change. But in Revolutionary Road, which is a, a film I wasn't mad about because I found it to be incredibly bleak. But, you know, it is a, a film yeah. directed by Sam Mendes. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I thought it was okay. Sam Mendes, I forgot about that. Sam Mendes that, directed yeah. it. And yeah. this is the second time that Kate uh, Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio appeared on screen together yeah. after, of course, Titanic. So people were hoping that they would re recreate the magic of Titanic. This is a very, very different story. It's set in the 1950s. It's about a couple who have a seemingly perfect marriage, but in fact, their marriage is falling apart. Um, he's had an affair. She's had an affair. Um, she's pregnant. She doesn't want to be pregnant. He hates his life. So really, what what appears to be a, you know a very stable relationship in a home, they live on Revolutionary Road, which is why it's called Revolutionary Road, um, and it is in fact a very difficult relationship they have together. And he believes that she loves him without condition, but in fact she doesn't. And I think in this scene you're, that you're going to play, she really tells him a couple of home truths. You know. Oh, oh Rick, you really are a wonderful talker. And you do love me. That's the point, April. But I don't. I hate you. In fact, if you come any closer, if you touch me or anything, I think I'll scream. Come on, stop this, April. <gasps> <laughs> oh my God! I, I, anybody who lo who loves the love story in Titanic, they must hate that. Oh, it's the complete opposite of it. It's yeah. the absolute opposite of Titanic, you know. Yeah. But a great, a great performance. Now, I think another great one is um, this is a really interesting one. I think is Daniel Day Lewis in uh, There Will Be Blood. I'm for crying out loud, now, Daniel Day Lewis. Mental. It's it's a mental performance. He won the Oscar for this. Like I say, these yeah. these these kind of roles, these kind of big showy roles or big moments like this, tend to tend to win awards. And he won an Oscar for this. Um, there will be blood. So again, a very bleak film. And Daniel Day Lewis plays Daniel, um, a character called Daniel. I can't remember his surname, but basically he's a, a an oil baron and he, 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 he a ruthless ruthless oil baron who will step over anybody to to achieve the money and the wealth that he wants. And throughout the film, he's plain love or something or. Plain view, I think. Plain, the plain view, view yeah, whatever, Daniel. Yeah, plain yeah, view, yeah, whatever. yeah, something like that. And he, um, so he clashes throughout the movie with with a, a pair of twins played by both played by Paul Dano. One's a uh, yeah, one of them is a preacher and who like plays he, the dad in the Fablemans. Exactly, who plays yeah. uh, Spielberg's dad. So. He kind of clashes throughout the movie with him, but Daniel Day Lewis's character is kind of a heightened character in this, and you know he's 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 a difficult man, and you know he's a bit on the on the, on the crazy side. And towards the end of the film, he's kind of 
He has everything, but he's lost everything. He has his money, he has his millions, he has his mansions, yeah. but he's lost his adopted son. He's lost any family he had. He's lost anybody who's ever close to him in his life. And towards the end of the film, he has this mad, crazy confrontation with the character played by Paul Dano, uh, whose name is Sunday, I think. And he's an ex-preacher who has strayed. Yeah. And he's come to Daniel to tell him, I'm going to sell you my land. You can have my land because Daniel's been trying to get his land throughout the movie because he has very good oil rights on it. I'm trying to get my land from you. And he's just, he sits down with him and he says, I don't want your land anymore. And then he gives this bizarre speech, which took me a long time to figure out what it meant. But maybe if you, if you play it, maybe you can have a listener and see if we can figure out what it means. If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. That's a straw, you see. And my straw reaches across the room. And starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Don't bully me, Daniel. Was that, was that thing, kind of a bowling alley? Kind of so place. he's in a bowling alley. Yeah, it's his own private bowling alley in his yeah. mansion. And he does it. I'll drink your yeah. milkshake. Yeah. Now, where he got that voice from, interestingly, is he modelled that voice on John Houston, the director John Houston. You might remember from, you know, he also acted in Chinatown. He, like he, I, 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. He did. He was uh, Mulray. That's right. And he has that yeah. voice, that real deep, yeah. commanding voice. Yeah. So he's doing his voice there. And it's a really weird one. It's a really weird dialogue thing, isn't it? I'll drink your milkshake. What the hell does that but mean? But by this stage of the movie, he's gone completely He's off gone completely nuts. And what he's actually doing here is, what he means by that is, I'll take whatever the goddamn hell I want. Yeah. If you have a milkshake over there and I want that milkshake, yeah. my straw is going to dip in and I'm going to drink your milkshake. At this stage, milkshake. I don't want you giving me your land. Yeah, if yeah, I need it, I'll take it. I don't need it. Whatever I need, whatever I want, I will take regardless of how you feel about it. And then yeah. shortly after that, if I won't blow the movie for anybody who has seen the movie, but if they're in a bowling alley and he has an altercation with a bowling ball <laughs> that does not end well for one of the characters. Right, okay. But it was, it's a it's a weird scene. It's a very intense scene and a very intense Well, I film. saw Daniel getting his Oscar, so he must be still alive. Okay, let's yeah. move on. You're the there for that one, one as well. Yeah. <laughs> we spoke about you being backstage for Spielberg. No, I wasn't there for that one, actually. No. But he did. So he won his second Oscar for that one. Right, the second yeah. of three. Yeah. Actually, he's the only actor to win three acting Oscars. No, he's male the, actor. He's, no, he's the only actor to win three male best, best actor. actor. I think somebody course. has won four or so. And well, the other one, Catherine Hepburn, and then Walter Brennan. I think Walter That's Brennan. It. But also, what do you call him? Spencer Tracy won two years in a row. Tom Hanks won two years in a row. Yeah. But they're like best actor as opposed to supporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're so looking at great so yelling th- scenes, by the way, in the movies. Brian Redden is here, of course. Uh, so give, uh, yeah, we're going to talk hidden so figures. Another, yeah, this is really. Cool. I now, like that movie. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's a brilliant film. And it's a true story. True story. Yeah. I mean, apparently there, there are, apparently it stretches, Kevin Costner, it stretches the truth yeah. somewhat, but I mean, the very, the basis oh, yeah. of it are essentially a true story. Kevin Costner. So it's set in NASA 1961. Uh, by the way, the movie's nothing to do with Kevin Costner. No, although he's very good in it, but it doesn't yeah. really focus on him. So he's um, he's a NASA engineer. And it's, as you say, it's a true story. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. It's called Hidden Figures, directed by a guy called Theodore Milfi, uh, who hasn't done much since. But basically it's about these three African-American women who are mathematicians who are working in NASA in 1961 and they're working on essentially it's the first it's the um, Scott Glenn Scott Glenn's um, what did he do was he break the sound barrier go into space whatever he did so they're trying to work on that Scott Glenn project you know um, John Glenn John Glenn so is it John Glenn or John Glenn John Scott Glenn, Glenn Scott Glenn's the, the actor kind of like, didn't he play Silence him actually the lambs. <laughs> didn't he play him in uh, The Right Stuff Oh, did he? Right yeah okay he might have anyway John yeah. Glenn so they're working on that project in NASA and 
um, they're African American women, and it's during a time where NASA, believe it or not, is segregated. You know, so so there's 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 blacks only toilets and and canteens, and these women are geniuses. Like basically, this this whole thing would not have happened. Like he wouldn't have got up into space if it hadn't have been for these women. The mathematicians who worked on all the logistics about rocket boosters and rocket launchers. Kevin Costner really embraces them and helps them break down the barrier. But in this particular scene, you know, um, it's played by. Uh, Tara G.P. Henson I think her name is uh, and uh, well Octavia Davis got all the awards for this she was nominated for everything but this is a great performance she has come in and she's been taking a lot of toilet breaks and she's not there when Kevin Costner needs her so she walks into the central control in NASA and he goes where have you been what have you been up to and this is the speech she gives which is amazing yeah because the toilet's four miles away the toilet's yeah. a mile, yeah. half a mile away yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like Amazon there's no bathroom for me here what do you mean there's no bathroom for you there here there is no bathroom there are no colored bathrooms in this building or any building outside the West Campus, which is half a mile away. Did you know that? I have to walk to Timbuktu just to relieve myself. And I can't use one of the handy bikes. Picture that, Mr. Harrison. My uniform, skirt below my knees, my heels, and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. And I work like a dog, day and night, living off a of coffee from a pot none of you want to touch. And that's it. It's powerful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, she turns yeah. around, she walks out, and Costner looks in a room full of white men, all white guys, after she leaves in stunned silence. And he very slowly, in a beautiful moment, walks over and pours himself a cup of coffee from the coffee machine. Yeah. So, you know, it's a really, really powerful moment in a very powerful film. It's brilliant. But, um, so another Oscar winner, another guy who won an Oscar for, for Screaming and Shouting. We mentioned uh, before Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Al Pacino. Another guy who won an Oscar for Screaming and Shouting. <laughs> Al Pacino. Al Pacino has a whole career based on uh, yeah, Screaming and yeah, Shouting, you know. Yeah. He's none, become a parody of himself. Well, he kind of has now. Yeah. I mean, kind of Now? Has, He's yeah. been parody for 30 years. Well, I wouldn't say 30. Years, I'd say 35 dad, would you really <laughs> yeah. well say would you, would you would you consider my parody Scent of a Woman uh, yeah I think that's where it started yeah. in fairness to you I think that's the <laughs> yeah, I probably. think Scent of a Woman which was yeah. the point where the Al Pacino stick and the hoo-ha yeah because before break. that you had Al Pacino like, like you know in, in Dog Day Afternoon he's a great moment he comes out he goes Attica yeah. Attica yeah, that's crowd. a great great moment yeah, yeah. and then you know uh, Justice for All you know he does all that you know yeah. you're out of order the whole damn system is <laughs> yeah, out of order yeah, yeah. so he's all those Just, big moments know, Judge you're a douchebag that's <laughs> it he's all those big moments where he's shouting and screaming but they're yeah. all very much part of the character and this one Incentive of a Woman which is from 1992 I think you're right maybe this is where Al Pacino started to play See, Al Pacino and everything. <laughs> yeah. You have a bang, right? Actually, that is that long. You're, you're no, spot on. I wouldn't have known even if it was 92. The moment on, that yeah. Al Pacino turned. <laughs> this is the moment. When he won his Oscar for uh, for portraying that. So basically, he's an army vet, Vietnam army vet. He's blind. Um, you find out later on in the film, in quite a poignant moment, how he became blind uh, during the Vietnam War. And a guy who's assigned to look after him uh, is uh, played by Chris O'Donnell. He's a young college student. Now, he doesn't particularly want to look after him. Al Pacino does not want him anywhere near him. He's a grumpy old man. And in fact, he's on a course to kill himself. He doesn't want to live anymore. Yeah. He's had enough of life. And the man basically decides that he wants to stop him doing that. Now, in the, in the crux of it, there's another kind of a subplot, which is a bit of an odd subplot. But Chris O'Donnell has witnessed something happening at this Ivy League college. And he's been pressed upon by the college officials to name the guys who did it. And he won't 
do it. So he gets a disciplinary hearing at the end, towards the end of the film, where he's going to be kicked out of the college. But Pacino comes along. Now, everyone knows the scene where he's dancing with the woman and he goes, hoo yeah, yeah. But he comes along to this uh, disciplinary hearing and he stands up for Chris O'Donnell. I'd say when Al Pacino read this, is, I'll do this movie. It gives me a chance to I, grandstand. Yeah, this gives, I mean, this, it's a very long speech. Yeah. Gives him a chance to grandstand. And this won him the Oscar. Yeah. And I have seen boys like these, younger than these, their arms torn out, their legs ripped off. But there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. Okay, Al Pacino and Centre Woman. Give Great. us a few more. We're looking at yelling and shouting. Yeah. <laughs> in movies. Well, this is here's one that's not, not so much yelling and shouting. It's a little, well, there's a bit of shouting, but it's a little bit more subdued and it's a really, really powerful performance. And it's Viola Davis and Fences. Another Oscar. Oh, right, winner. yeah, I saw that. Yeah, oh, I didn't like God. it. Did you not? It was just no. too slow. I, no, well, it's a stage play with cameras. Well, it is based on a Pulitzer Prize winning stage play, no less. And it was written by August Wilson. It was directed by Denzel Washington, yeah. who also plays the lead. Now, as a film, it doesn't really get away from its stage constraints and it's very stagey. Yeah. But in terms of two lead performances, Viola Davis and Denzel Washington, it was just absolutely superb. So he plays this bitter, he's a garbage collector, he's a bitter, twisted man because he had a shot at, at being a baseball hero. Yeah. I've been a legend in baseball. And but it's it all about the son. Yeah, it didn't work out for him. And now his son has a shot and he kind of resents the son you know, shining in baseball when he could have shined in baseball. So he kind of works it so that he kind of sabotages the son's career. But it's all about him. It's all about his life. Everybody should, you know, listen to him and serve him and look after him. And in this moment, he sits with his wife, played by Viola Davis, and and, and she says, you know, it's not just all about you. I had dreams too. And in this moment, it's very famous, this scene, because... Uh, like she has, uh, she has tears and snot running down her face. You remember the scene? Yeah. And everyone wrote about that because she was so caught up in the moment. Everything is running out of her, and she just kept going. And she she did all this. Apparently, did it in one take. But there was a lot of resentment inside her, obviously inside that actress, because she was dragging this from somewhere. It's a brilliant, brilliant moment. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for eighteen years. Well, I've been standing with you. I've been right here with you, Troy. I got a life too. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. Don't you think I ever wanted other things? Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me? What about me? Fences it is, Viola Davis. And I presume uh, Paul Meskell's at the moment in London doing Streetcar Named Desire, right? So uh, Actually, yeah, there's a brilliant segue. Yeah, there you go, you see. So we're talking here at Marlon Brando as well, It'd right? be interesting if he could be, a, if he would be a good Stanley Kowalski. I presume he would I saw be. saw two reviews and said it was great. Really? Yeah. You wouldn't think he'd have the physical presence for it. He's not really a Brando, like, you know. So we're talking about Streetcar Named Desire, Tennessee Williams' play, which was made into a brilliant film. Uh, with Marlon Brando playing Stanley Kowalski and Vivian Lee playing Blanche Dubois with the famous line, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. And then you have Kim Hunter, who didn't do much uh, afterwards, although she was in a movie we're going to talk about now. <laughs> and was nominated, and I think won the Oscar, uh, for playing Stella and Carl Malden, who plays yeah. Mitch. And it's kind of a weird uh, southern gothic thriller. Um, Stanley Kowalski, brilliantly played by Marlon Brando, uh, who didn't win an Oscar for this, strangely enough. Um, has, he's in a card game, basically, and his wife turns up, play, uh, Stella, played by Kim Hunter, and he hits her. Right, He's a brutal, brutal man. She leaves with her sister, played by Blanche, Blanche uh, played by um, Vivian Lee, Blanche Dubois. She goes home. He feels great remorse. So in a very famous scene, he turns up outside her window in the lashings of rain in New Orleans and screams this up to the window. <laughs> Four to seconds worth. Hey, Stella! 
Now there's a scream. There's a scream. <laughs> so he's playing. So he that was Stanley Kowalski. Yeah. A great moment and great. Of course, Carl Malden was also you know Carl Malden was also in, on the waterfront with him. Yeah, so I could Car- have been a contender and won by ticket to Palookaville. Yeah, so those two were you know they were friends and they worked together in Ilya Kazan with Ilya Kazan and they worked in the actor studio in New York and they ended up shortly after this appearing together as you say in on the waterfront with a very famous speech again. Yeah. I could have been a contender. Yeah. I could have been someone instead of a bum, which is what I am. And for that movie, Brando won the Oscar. Yeah. Well, yeah. we mentioned Kim Hunter there. Actually. So Kim Hunter's an interesting actress. So she she's in this. She plays Stella in this. Didn't do an awful lot after it. And then actually turned up many years later in Planet of the Apes, playing one of the apes in Planet of the Apes. And Planet of the Apes, I think, is another interesting one in terms of big movie moments and big movie screams. Um, now, I suppose everyone's seen Planet of the Apes at this point, so everyone must know the ending. So it's very hard to talk about this without giving the ending You're away. You're not give the ending away if the movie's that old. Can I? God's sake, yeah. All right, so Charlton Heston... Obviously, land. He's an astronaut, and with the other guys, he lands on this planet, which is ruled by apes. And uh, he has hurt his throat, so he can't talk. And uh, this, in, in this world, and it's brilliant for them. This world, uh, the apes are in control, and the humans are essentially the pets. You know, um, at the end of the film, <gasps> at the end of the film, <laughs> he's going down a beach, it's pretty good, and all of a sudden, he sees this thing, and it's 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 a, a dismantled. Uh, half blown up Statue of Liberty it's the head of the Statue of Liberty and he suddenly realises that the planet he's on that the planet he's on might not be the planet of the apes might in fact be planet Earth oh my god here hold hold on damn you god damn you all the hell Brilliant. Charlton. Yeah. And you know, actually, the great thing about that, in that film, you know, when it, when eventually when he speaks, I think he can't speak because humans can't speak in this film, but Charlton Heston can because he's come from either the future or the past, I can't remember. But anyway, <laughs> at one point when he starts to talk, when the ape grabs him, he goes, get your hands off me, you damn stinking ape. And in the remake of this, made by Tim Burton, oh, yeah. Charlton Heston plays an ape in it. And at one point, a human grabs him, Mark Wahlberg, and Charlton Essen says, get your hands off me, you damn stinking human. So <laughs> he says that in the remake. need to know. Isn't that interesting? Very good, Brian. Okay, give me two more quick ones. Two more quick ones. Okay, another quick one, I think, and this is one of the greatest shouting moments in cinema history, is Peter Finch in Network. If you haven't seen Network, go and see it. Get it somewhere. Yeah, uh, it was the well, is, is it the only posthumous movie. Oscar for Best Actor? I think it might. Good be. question. I'm not sure. I must. I must. I must check that. Yeah. Is it the only posthumous one? Very yeah. possibly. But I mean, everybody knows this one too. This has been parodied to death. The hat, shouting yeah. out a window. Yeah, Peter yeah. Finch. who was a. Can't so he take plays his. He plays his broadcaster called Howard Beale, I think, in a film called Network. And Network, uh, directed by Sidney Lumet, a brilliant, brilliant film. And if you look at it now, it was way ahead of its yeah. time. Yeah. This film was made yeah. in the seventies, and it was all about. You know, television networks vying for ratings and doing anything they can for ratings. And they, they couldn't care less. Peter Finch plays this guy who's a newsreader who's just sick of the news and sick of all the crap, as he says, that he has to do. Um, he basically speaks his mind out during during a particular broadcast. And he's, well, actually, what he says is that if you tune in next week, I'm going to kill myself yeah. live on air. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they say, oh, my God, this is ratings gold. Not only, will we, not only will we keep him on air, but we're going to give him his own show. But he has this mantra, which you can, I think you're going to play. Yeah. And this is a mantra that Peter Finch encourages people to do who are just pissed off with society and are sick of the status quo. This is what you should do. 
I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah, as I say, parody to death. In parody to death. But as he said, open your window, stick your head out yeah. and shed him as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And in fact, they give him his own show where he uses that as his catchphrase and he gets all the all the punters and all the, all the audience at home to scream that line. And the film ends up in a really, really dark place. But it's a brilliant movie. Faye Dunaway is in it. William Holden plays the yeah. studio executive. Robert Duvall is in it. Fantastic cast. Great movie. And a great okay, moment. give us Sally Field, say Mrs. Doubtfire. What's like? What, what, what was she? Was that when it was like? Oh my God! Look who Mrs. Doubtfire. Pretty much, I suppose. Mrs. Doubtfire. You've like a great, great film with the late great Robin Williams, and of course, he's everyone knows the story. Mrs. Doubtfire, don't they? Robin Williams dresses up as Mrs. Doubtfire. What's it? What's her name? Can't remember. But anyway, she's a little Scottish woman who goes in to look after the kids because Robin Williams seems to be too unstable to to, to look after his own kids. Sally Field is divorcing him. She's taken up with a brilliant Pierce Brosnan in the film. Yeah, yeah. Pierce Brosnan parodies himself in his good-looking image brilliantly in this and of course there's a point in the film where she suddenly discovers that Mrs. Doubtfire is in fact her husband that she's currently divorcing it's me <gasps> happy birthday <gasps> Daniel Daniel oh my god oh my god oh my god the whole time the whole time you would the whole time oh I'm, I'm sorry Miranda uh, please don't talk to me don't touch me! Don't touch me! I have to go. We have to leave now. I have to leave. We have to leave now. I have to go. We're going. <laughs> and out they go. And Heath Ledger, as, as we've been told. Um, yeah, yeah, because as you say, Peter Finch, an Australian actor, yeah. had passed away by the time and the Oscars came Ledger, around for Network. Yeah. So he won Best Actor posthumously. And yeah. of course, Heath Ledger won it for uh, the Joker. Yeah, probably, playing the Joker. Yeah, probably man. best supporting was it or something? Yeah, I don't know. Was it the best yeah. actor or best supporting actor? I don't know. I can't remember, but yeah. he was gone at that stage when he won it for the Joker. Indeed, so yeah, yeah, so he's not alone. All right, Brian. Those have been a lot of shouting there for the last half hour. Well yeah. done. <laughs> I got a drink of water now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on yourself, Brian Red, the inimitable or the inimitable, if you like. I don't mind. A TV film director, if the winner. Come on, Brian. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Dave Fanning on Two FM.